0: Good afternoon. and um, welcome to another episode of the mic drop. Um, as you probably remember, the last epi- uh, series that we had episode we had, we were talking about um the gender identity, and we decided it was a, a subject that we could actually carry on talking for another episode. So that's why we invited the same guests, you know, Cath uh, Kath Charters and Arthur Brittany to come and talk about the experience and the issues that they um Um, trans people have uh, in Britain. First of all, um, welcome both of you. I hope you're okay. Uh, One of the things I was going to ask you, um, Brittany, is that um, in the first series um, I interviewed you and I called you Adrian, you know, and obviously since then, you know, we know you uh, with another name, you know, Arthur Brittany. So I just wanted to, uh, if you you don't mind, explain a little bit about your your name and why you changed it, you know, please. Okay,
1: thank you, Mo. Um, hello, everyone that is listening to this episode. Yeah, it's kind of an extensive story that I, I will try to resume. Um, for me, it, since I let's say came out and accept my identity, mm-hmm. it was also a stuff about. Better say, I always had this kind of. Uh, fighting inside of me, trying to figure out who I really am, who I really was, or who I wanted to be. So part of this stuff is that I never felt they get the name that was given me when I was born uh, identified myself. You know, there's people that they feel really proud of their name, and they say, this is my name, and they carry on. Even, for example, being drag queens, they, they keep their name mm-hmm. as as the name that they were given when they was, were born. But in my particular case, I never felt identified with that name. I never liked it. So across the years, many people before even I came here to the UK, uh, they, they started to call me Britney as a nickname. And yeah. it was like, I always had that name with me. And so eventually that became part of my identity. So it I really felt like I was uh Brittany was my, my name because most of people call me like mm-hmm. that. But I also in my country they call me Arturo, which is the Spanish version of Artu. Uh <laughs> so it's like I just transform my Spanish name into the English version and mix it with Britney, which for me personally it totally sends the me- the message of my identity, you know, that a non-binary person that doesn't feel that fits on the masculine or feminist spouse I'm like in the middle, like my names, like in mm. actually when my my case came out to the public, people get shocked, mm. positive and negative about the name. It's like, how come they were able to get that mix up of of names? So some people get shocked, like I said, in a negative way, but other people, they, they got shocked in the positive. They say, oh my God, what a legend, those names, Yas Queen. <laughs> So, um, yeah, it's really, it really identifies my, my new identity and it's important for me to be called with these names um, because this is the person I, I feel like I am.
0: Yeah, okay, That's, thanks very much for the uh, explanation. I, I just want another very uh, short answer, okay, a quick an, uh, answer. What does your mom call you now? You know, does she call you Arturo or Arthur or Brittany or Arthur Brittany?
1: Uh, my mom always called me mi amor o mi vida. My <laughs> love. Yeah, it,
0: it doesn't make any difference. Yeah. Okay. Thanks very much. Kath, um, in the yeah, last I'm- um the last episode, we, we did talk um quite a lot in regard to, you know, non-binary. Uh, and we didn't really have a lot of time to actually talk about the trans men and trans women. Just remind us again, the group that you facilitated in Liverpool, what it was called, you know. And before that, I just oh, gotta you. say that I I actually was invited once to that group. And one of the things that uh, sort of struck me first, you know, obviously they were a very friendly bunch of people, but also another thing was the diversity yeah. that existed in that group, you know. Um if I remember rightly, there was someone probably in his 70s there, and there was someone yeah. in their you know, teenage um and seemed that they were they all got got on really well. Yes, yeah. please.
2: Thank you. Um, thanks, Mo. Well, you know, personally speaking. Oh, so I'll say what the group is. The group is called Trans Health Merseyside. And um, just to give a background to the group, we were once upon a time, we were um, funded by the Liverpool Clinical Commissioning Group. Um, and we were we are in partnership and have been in partnership with Trust Merseyside, which is another group. Um, Quite important, and uh, I would advise anyone to have a little look at Intrust Merseyside um, at their website. Um they're another big group for um people who are identifying as trans or under trans umbrella in Merseyside. Um so thanks for your comment about the group actually, because one of the things that I get so I've I've worked in community engagement for an awfully long time. Too long. <laughs> um and that group makes my heart sing because of its diversity. So originally, and this is quite interesting really, originally we thought it might be difficult bringing people out of their shadows or their imposed closets or their worlds, you know, to come to a group. It's a big ask, isn't it, to come to a group. And um, we were astonished by the the, the response. And so it's really indicative of how much people needed a peer support group. I never thought that that many people would, would engage with, with the group um, as fully and completely as they do. Um, and one of the things about the group, it's nice that you said about the generational um, diversity because say, for example, in that group, this can happen. And I don't know how many other groups this could happen in. So I'll give you an example. So we can have a discussion about coming out as a group, coming out as a trans person. And some people in the group will talk about coming out as trans to their parents. Some people in the group will talk about coming out as trans to their children. And where else are you going to get that kind of exchange? And people can support one another in how they might approach that and how it might feel. And, um, you know, and people can talk about lots and lots of different things that the intergenerational aspect of that group can facilitate, and so that's pretty cool. And just to say that the group trans trans can mean a lot of different things to different people. So, so our strapline is the group is for transsexuals, people who identify as transitioning, so that can be a social, medical, or surgical transition, people who may be questioning the gender that they were assigned, so just people who might be questioning or thinking about who they are and want to explore possibilities and people who have an intersex variance um, and people who are just gender non-conforming. Well, not, I don't mean just self-tape, but just now people who are gender non-conforming. So that can include all kinds of people who might identify as non-binary. Okay. Um, and it's just really more and more as we've gone along, um, the, the, issue can be around challenging the binary norms Mm. that that seems to be a theme that that's Mm. coming about at the moment just challenging the binary norms of Mm. our society that we find ourselves in um that's that
1: that's a theme Mm. that goes i quite i quite love that this new generation is like really into that
2: yeah
1: i think like is like you said challenging this binary norm is a new thing
2: yeah
1: people are finding themselves especially really young people they're finding themselves out of all this pattern that has been like forever so they say why to mm-hmm. why why do you trapped us in a cage when we mm-hmm. can be whatever we wanted there's like mm-hmm. this kind of training to erase the toxic masculinity i just mm-hmm. loving this like it doesn't matter your sexual orientation, you know all that. All, all it doesn't matter if you are straight or gay. You can wear a dress if you want, you know. You know you can use nail polish if you want earrings or whatever you wanted. Uh, just dress the way you want. It. I, I'm just loving this, especially with this new generation. And and it's like I, I found myself a little bit oldy in that sense. <laughs> like I, I, at the beginning, it's like. Uh, the old generations, especially, mm-hmm. I got some friends that they say. So, what's going on with this new generation? It's like, mm-hmm. are they all gay? And say, why you say that? They say, just look mm-hmm. at how they dress and stuff like this. Mm-hmm. They, you know, address uh, if you if you dress like in some ways that doesn't make any clue about your sexual orientation. You know, because you can be the boss. Let's say masculine person. You know, like mm-hmm. wearing a, a, a suit and everything and stuff like that. And being the gayest person ever, <laughs> and could you could be the opposite? You could be like, a, with the most pinky dress, nail polish, and stuff like that, and, and still like in girls So even I need I know drag queens that they are heterosexuals, you know. That's so it, it it doesn't make any any sense, and I'm, I'm loving this new uh, trend to challenge this normativity. I just just uh feel so
0: proud of this new generation i have the i mean my experience especially with my daughter she's 22 uh, uh britney's met my daughter and uh, she is um sometimes very passionate about these issues and uh, it's funny like you know some a lot of times she's correcting me and my my wife if we use your wrong pronouns and or if we say something that you know you know, not on purpose, but it's not right. She corrects us and she said, no, you shouldn't say this. And it's quite interesting, as you said, how, you know, um, it's sort of the role sometimes changes. And I don't think what you say, Cathy, about the, the group, you know, when you started the group, I, we had the same experience with the many hands, one heart. We didn't really know if people, because I was working in this field for about five or six years, and I could just count on one two 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 fingers, um, uh, any person seeking asylum. That he was uh, from LGBT plus community, and but we knew they existed. We knew mm. that they're there, but they, you know. And I remember the first meeting we had for the Many Hands One Heart. He was in the, in in was the central. I think was in the central library or the museum next to it. And I we sat there with the, um, Mimi from um, Say House and uh, Jenny from the Liverpool University. Uh, I don't know if there was someone from Armstead there and. Uh, and we invited some people from uh, Manchester who were doing the same sort of a thing to come down and some people that from the um, LGBT community that they, they were seeking asylum. And there was no one there and we just felt embarrassed. Oh okay. my God, yeah. no one is going to turn up. Yeah. It was like the meeting was at, like 10 o'clock, nobody turned up. We had fruits and we had cakes and everything. And like all of a sudden we saw a head came in and we were all like that excited. and. One by one, they came in. And what it was is they were standing outside. They were too scared to come in. Mm. And they wanted to make sure nobody sees them actually coming to the meeting, you know. And the amazing thing is, is the other day I had a meeting with Shireen. And she said, I asked the question, how many members, many hands, one heart got? And she said eighty yeah. over eighty people. Yeah. And it's next my question, yeah. next question I've got from you is how many members um, TransHealth? We've
2: got we've got seventy members that are signed up to the like a registered service users of the project, but we we tend to have about twenty five to thirty when we're meeting outside of the pandemic. You know, so when we've been yeah. meeting in the yeah. evening Same with prior the, to lockdown, yeah. um, at the moment on Zoom we meet in the afternoons which is slightly different and there's probably about 15 to 16 people who come onto Mm -hmm. the call
0: and um, i mean the question i the next question i got you know you sort of touch a little bit in the first you know uh question i you answered it's just but can you tell us a little bit about the challenges and some of the issues that they face on day to day life trans
2: people face yeah yeah well so for example Sure, sure, no problem. So so say, for example, that early on we were funded to look at hate crime against people and transphobia. And we had a lot of connection with police at that point and um, Stop Hate UK and stuff. And uh, people would talk about people reporting hate crime and, and, and numbers of the group, I mean, a sizable majority of the group would say, well, if I was reporting hate crimes to me that, that happens every day, I'd be on the phone to the police for the majority of my life um and I haven't got the time to do that I've got to live my life um so and this is another example of um it's so it can be so complicated so so for example there's there's a a sort of it's not outdated but it's kind of got a historic context this term so there's a term which actually is used in the binary understanding of transition so this is not what we're talking about because we're slightly outside of that boundary binary uh comprehension but um there is discussion about passing so i'm going to ask whether you two are familiar with the term passing you familiar with the term passing no No. okay so if you this is not the case now but if Mm. let's say up until about Five to seven years ago, if you were attending a gender identity clinic and you wanted to be um, not in the gender identity that you were assigned at birth. So you were transitioning and you'd be asked to. So let's take an example of a male person, someone who was assigned male at birth who wanted to transition to be a woman. So, in the course of their assessment and in the course of their treatment and all that kind of thing, they will be given support around living, working, and and um, expressing themselves in everyday life as a, a woman. But there were kind of outdated understanding of what a woman might look like that's that was that was quite perceived to be you know, I'm going to say long hair, long nails, but I don't, that's really simplified, but there'd be like this, if you're a woman, you, you you will maybe look like this, and if you're not going out looking like that, then you're not serious about your transition, right, and that was really hurtful to people, and actually um, really drew, really caused loads of confusion, and, and kind of got people back in various closets, and And so also created a bit of competition sometimes between people, you know, about how how well they passed or not, you know, how good they looked or didn't. And that could be that could be around finances, whether you could financially support yourself to get a nice wig or whether you could financially support yourself to get electrolysis to get your your naturally grown hair removed and stuff like that. It was very could be very problematic for some people. And then for me personally, um, I took a call from someone who was transitioning to become a woman who lived in a very rough area of Liverpool. And they were saying, I can't walk out my front door looking like that. I feel like that. I want to be that. But if I walk out my front door looking that way, I will be battered by my neighbours. And I know that that was probably true of where they were. So these things were being asked of people and it was. It wasn't very person-centred. So I think it's got more person-centred at the gender identity clinics to look at how people might want to express who they are um, and what how they might want to identify that. And then it kind of took the pressure off people a little bit to not feel that they have to have surgery and also not everyone can have surgery. You might not yes, be medically yes. able to have surgery. You might not want mm-hmm. surgery. You might be able to um feel yourself enough by just socially transitioning so um mm. whatever that means you know that can mean just wearing something different that makes you feel um as you want to feel as you in in the identity as the individual you feel you are um so I think it just needs to get really mm. individuated and more person specific mm. because it's very different if you were brought up you know back in the 30s in a working class home for example, you know, I know that my mum and dad had very, very, very clear identities as to who was a man and who was a woman, right? Mm. How that looked and all that kind of thing. And then all the languaging around someone who might be a feat, you know, show feminine identities, someone who might, a woman who might be strong, you know, all the language that that woman might be called, all this inappropriate language that we have for someone who's stepping outside of my perception of what maybe you should be or how you should behave. We need to dismantle all of that and it takes time.
0: Um, my next question, because when I came to your group, um, I actually came, if I remember rightly, I came with the, um, a member of the Many Hands One Yeah, you brought someone along. We, yeah. we did talk and he was um, a trans man, you know, and we talk about the, the issues that faced, face, you know, the question is actually to both of you, you know, because I know you've come across a lot, many um, um, people seeking asylum that they're from, you know, trans or they are trans men or trans women. And also, uh, I know that Brittany um, has got, um, well, we've got members in many hands on hearts in the, um, from that community, but also um, I know that they, they know that there are people, and outside the group that um, is seeking asylum. Just wanted to sort of like, if you touch on um, what are the main issues, barriers for them, you know, adopting here or in the, about the case, or what you say about the transition and everything. I start with the uh, Brittany and then I'll come back to you, Kathy. Is that okay with you? Yeah.
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I think that in my particular case, uh, what I can talk about in my own experience, Mm-hmm. People is, uh, I know it's it's like trivial people. A lot of people say that people is not honestly uh, well educated in these matters. Especially uh, if for transgender people, people are not educated. For people with gender okay. non-conforming, it's even worse because we are almost like invisible
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, in this sense. You know, if it's a struggle to be a transgender man or, or woman, it, and to come across this transition, but like like Kat said, there are there there's some people like like me we we don't want to transition, so people don't quite understand that that, that thing is is like so why you don't look more feminine or why you know you don't stick on the masculine stuff, so why you want it to be, and it's that 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 kind of I'll not say it uh, because for some of this kind of curiosity is not like a healthy curiosity, I would say, because there's the kind of curiosity you're doing because you try to educate yourself. There's the other kind of curiosity that you are doing because that is like a taboo topic, if if that makes sense. So in that sense, people try to speak about my gender identity and expressions, uh, not because they, they wanted to educate themselves. It's most because they are like they, they found this I would say entertaining or something like 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 that. And I'm not a clown for that. <laughs> that's the that that's the sense. And you know in my particular case that's for now the challenge I've been experimenting, especially with people that I as I said, they don't they don't they, they get shocked when they 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 read my name or something like that. And it's like, so people say, and, and I read the, uh, usually social media doesn't affect me. Uh, and I pick up all the negative stuffs as something I could use to learn and or to use as example of what we need to improve. But there's, uh, I, when my case came out, I read across social media, this comment, like a lot. People saying, if, they say he, or they say he. Usually, they say uh, if he cannot accept himself, how we expect to accept, accept them? Mm. It's not like that. It's not mm-hmm. like I don't. I don't accept myself. I know what I wanted to be, and I know what I what I am. So it's not that, that I'm not accepting me. I'm trying to reach that person that is actually me. So for people, it's, it's really difficult to understand this, that it's no, not that like I'm close. not accepting my body. It's not like I'm not accepting myself. What, I, what it means is I wanted to be the person I wanted to be. And so it's mm-hmm. a little bit more complicated. That Garrett, got it. I'm trying, to, and maybe I'm being a little bit minimalist in this, but mm-hmm. I think that's something we need to raise a lot, that it's not like we are not accepting ourselves. We just want it to be what we want it to be
0: you want to add anything to that so
2: it's about challenges wasn't it it's mm, about yeah, asylum yeah. seeking challenges okay. okay so i i wonder that when someone comes into the country this is just someone who has transitioned or is in the process of transitioning
1: mm.
2: i wonder if when someone comes into the country seeking asylum on the basis of um being harassed or at risk of death um for transitioning at home so you would presumably want to produce papers that show that you're in the process of transitioning. Your concerns may be guessing if you're if you are on bridging hormones, having your hormones continued. Um, Mm. If you have had surgery, having your GP understand what the surgery was and what follow up, you know, because it's all a process. So, what follow-up might need to happen and how do you get onto the relevant lists how do you get to the relevant specialisms how do you get your how do you get the um clinical care that you might need in the process of seeking asylum as well then you've got um potential language um situations so that's difficulty too and and are languaging around someone transitioning or or indeed being um non-gen non-gender conforming may be completely different to someone else's languaging around that so to try and have an understanding Mm. of that and then if someone has come in who has and I'm going to use the words trans history and I'll explain that so some women for example some men who are trans women trans women trans men might say I'm a trans woman might say I'm a trans man but some people might say I'm a woman with a trans history or I'm a man with a trans history because actually I'm now fully male or I'm now fully in my mind you know so the transitions happened and I'm some at a different point but medically those people may need screenings such as um, cervical cancer screenings such as um, there's a screening for People who were um, people who were assigned male at birth because of their quote unquote male characteristics. There's certain screenings that you might need, biologically speaking, if that makes sense. Yeah. But if you if your medical history starts from the point of you being a in your now preferred gender and there's no understanding of your previous history. Your screening might get missed, but you might feel that you don't want to share that with anyone. Mm. Um, and so there needs to be some comprehensive understanding, as we discussed last time, I'm sure we were talking about yeah. professional discussions mm-hmm. um, about get, you know, so that everybody has equal access to the, to the um, preventative healthcare that we need to have. Mm. So, so I think it's really multiple, you know, I think there's so many um, barriers that everybody's trying to hopefully overcome and understand so there'll be barriers that that I maybe I, you know I won't be aware of someone will bring that up for me as as hopefully go on very open to anyone talking to me yeah. about things because you know it's important that I know as well
0: the, the cases I've had and the one that I'm going to mention Let's just a mess there are you know You know, one of the people that I brought, you know, I came to the group, you know, um, and uh, he was from Iran,
1: if you remember,
0: you know. And I think the the number one problem, you know, he he told me it was about um, here, the medical, the GP and all that, they didn't believe that, you know, they wanted to prove that he was going through the transition. So he had to do some sort of a test with the hormones and all that. And there was a delay. And for him to get the, the hormones, the delay was so long. That he started, you know, like you know, um, his voices started changing a little bit, and his breast was coming back, and all that sort of thing. That he was telling me that, you know, it was obviously not very pleasant. Uh, another thing is, I remember it was, he, he told me it was about he wasn't the centre wasn't in Liverpool. He was over the water. Was that right? He's only whirl somewhere. He had to go. Uh, for he, some, he he, may,
2: like, yes, there's an endocrinologist in, in Wirral Park Hospital. That's right. Yeah.
0: Which, again, for someone who is not from here and, you know, only gets £35 and all that, that, that was a challenge itself. Yeah. He, later on, he sort of told me, because he was from a very religious family, born in a, a woman's body uh, and in family that they women, you know, like if there was a funeral or if there was a wedding, they're all separated and yeah. he was always with the women and especially like sometimes they had the public bath and all that. So because of that, he became recluse. He just would not go to any any public uh, gathering of the family and all that. And obviously his confidence was quite low. Um, and what unfortunately, I mean, one of the things later on happened to him, it was really upsetting. He was in a shared accommodation with other men. But one of the men um basically tried to sexually assault him, which was, you know, it was you know, it was terrible, you know, and he didn't want to talk about it. And that's that they're the issues that I came across. But also the friend that the um, Brittany's got and a member of our group, you know, as well, I think there's a lot of times as well, as you said, when they come here, they don't have any choice where they're gonna be, you know, mm. they, they, and you were just talking about someone in the for example in the north north end of Liverpool in an area that it was quite rough or whatever, That has happened to some of the, you know, trans women that they come to, you know, um, uh, they come out here as, um, to seek asylum because they don't have any choice. And the area that they're in, the, big, the case I'm talking about, um, the person was not only outside Liverpool, it was in the middle of nowhere, in, in, a, in, a, in a town, a very small town, that they had no visible uh, LGBT community. There's okay. no... Know, gay and that's itself was you know if you're frightened, considering that you come from a, that country that you were violent, come here and you got to get out of your house and people calling you names. Obviously, you don't speak the language. You know, yeah. All that was. Do you know which one I'm talking about, Brittany? Just you know, and uh, so this is one of the issues, some of the issues that I've come across in the last few years that I thought. Um, sorry, and Brittany wanted to say something as well. I think is that right? Oh,
1: yes. Um, You know, um, talking about also about the the proper asylum process. I think I would say also the Home Office, sometimes they doesn't follow their own guidelines. The Home Office has like a sexual orientation and gender orientation uh, guidelines, like a kind of to to follow when a a Mm -hmm. person identifies themselves as a LGBT. But they don't follow those guidelines, honestly. In my particular case, uh, even when I broke the situation that I felt non-binary, they never asked for my pronouns, uh, they never asked for that, and they still continue to treat me as a gay man. Even when I got uh, letters from my caseworker, from my uh, therapist uh, at Sahir House, and from many people that say, you know, this person, as a bull that has grown out. And now, thanks to this this kind, this kind freedom and process, it does identify themselves as no binary. The home office completely ignored that, mm. and they continue to call me this, this gay man. Uh, so when I came to the final uh, appeal with the judge, the first thing she asked me, she asked the home office, why are you still talking this person as the gay man? Why you didn't ask them for their pronouns? So it's like they... Mm. Failure in mm-hmm. to follow their own procedures. Mm-hmm. So if they cannot stick to their own procedures, what you guys mm-hmm. we, you can expect with on a with situation that they are out of the procedures, you know. So it's mm-hmm. like yeah. <sighs> it's horrible uh, to seek asylum and being LGBT because, because yeah. it's like like you said at the beginning, Mo, mm-hmm. when you when many has one heart started, people say we know the exist, but we know where they are. You, you know, it's like, so the same with, with, with trans and people non-binary like me, like, yeah, you got like a, the home office probably got this big idea, but they don't realize they are still, they are on the system already, you know, and they are failing to follow the process across there. And and I feel a little bit grateful in the sense that my, when my case, my case came out, it's like gave us visibility to this reality mm-hmm. that the Home Office completely ignoring the
0: the reality of non-binary people seeking asylum. Yeah. One of the things, sorry, Kathy, you wanted to say something, or no,
2: no, no.
0: One of the things actually, I've got to say to you, um, Brittany, um, because I like, you know even before I started doing this job, I, I had some sort of a contact with the Home Office in regard to the cases, you know, not just the LGBT plus people in any like, cases, and I, I was a freelance interpreter in, in previous life. And um, one of the things actually progressed and got better with regard to the home office is the questioning used to be very, very intrusive, especially when it came to the sexual activity. Mm. You know, as an interpreter, sometimes I used to absolutely could not believe the questions they were asking, you know, in regard to what position you were doing, how did you do it, what did you do to the person. And that's sort of like, you know, I believe it's stopped, you know. But um,
2: i probably um, question that, you know, Mo.
0: You don't think it's a yeah. stopped answer? Well, what I know is there was one case that um, it was an Iranian fellow that he said they asked him those questions, but he was too scared to say, sorry, I'm not answering that question. So oh. I think if they ask that question, if the people know they're right, they could actually say that's got nothing to do with it. Sure. Another thing was is... Um, uh, because sexuality is so difficult to prove, you know. Um, some solicitors actually sort of like welcome those questions because then you could actually talk about you, which I think is is, is terrible. You know, your solicitors say I advise you to, to go graphically explain. Um I think there was one or two cases actually someone filmed themselves having sex with their partner and should show sure it as a proof. I've
2: heard but, that.
0: But yeah. um but um you know, um, that's something that used to happen quite a, a lot. You know, I, don't, I again, the question goes, you, you, as you said, you think it's still happening. Did you have that sort of experience yourself, personally, when you, you were questioned by, by home office? Um, it's interesting because
1: uh, I heard from some disgusting questions to people I know, any people from the group. But in my particular case, it was kind of interesting. I remember when I came out to the first uh, interview the, the first first interview and uh, when you give evidence, he told me we're not gonna accept any explicit evidence. So if you got something with a partner or something like that super we're not, we're not gonna accept that and I, I was not bringing that of course, but it's like uh, I was I, I, I put a picture on my file. <laughs> That was kind of funny, let's say, because I was with a massive caro licking it, uh, pretending it was a dick. <laughs> so they say, no, this is too explicit. We cannot take this. So it's like uh, they say that it was too explicit, but at the same time, to other people, they are requesting yeah. them. You know, we want you to actually see you having action so it's like it doesn't make any sense for me okay. and it's okay. like a double speech for in my in my point of view that for some mm-hmm. people they say you know we we want to pretend to be like correct to do the right things but with other people it's like we don't believe you if, if you don't prove me you you like men sucking a dick and mm-hmm. I, I don't believe you so it's like it's just horrible in that sense
0: yeah, yeah. um yeah. just um, I mean. last question i've got unless you want to say something else you know from uh, kathy you know um it's there was a survey uh, i I used to be well involved with the mental health consortium and there was a lgbt plus group there you know claire stevens used to chair it and they they did a survey in regard to um the lgbt plus community in liverpool and one of the things that came came out of that that it was actually you know, um, the gay. They, there was a lot of sort of like racism and in in that community in regard to other people from other countries and all that sort of thing. And um, I didn't see that when I came to your group. You know, um, with the people seeking asylum, with another person seeking asylum. I just wanted to see if you actually, you know, and be honest with you. I was very surprised when the result of that survey came because I just thought people who have been, you know, discriminated and been. And victim of a hate crime, there should be more understanding to, you know, like, you know. Um, I didn't see that in your group, but have you had any sort of uh, issues and how did you de- dealt with it if you, had, if you had that sort of issue?
2: Personally speaking, we've not had any issues um, at, all, so.
0: like that at all.
2: But I think you have, I think that could be because, you know, the the fight if that's the right word not everybody sees transition as, as a fight or a right it's just mm. a life you know it's just my life it's just who I am but some people see it as a, as a fight or a campaign mm. so that's a global campaign isn't it and, and actually more than anything in my experience people have been interested in what other people's transition looks like in, in another country or what mm. it looks like to be yeah. um, you know non-conforming in another gentlemen performing in the country. People are interested in people. You know, mm. they're there to meet one another, support one another, and they're quite clear on that. Mm. Um, we have. I, I, Adrian. Sorry, Arthur. I'm so sorry. <laughs> um, Arthur, may I don't know. It'd be, it'd be interesting to see what you what what you've got to say about this. But uh, Sahir tries to consciously create a inclusive. Atmosphere actually kind of like in the spaces and places that aren't, you know, not just in one-to-one, but actually around the, the area. Um, so like in the drop-in and then the reception area and all that kind of thing. Um, and kind of quite often do um updates to their volunteers and updates to the staff and updates to service users and stuff around issues such as this, you know, and there is codes of conduct around um people who who may hurtfully say things that could be considered a hate crime or who may because of a lack of understanding or education say the same thing and and, and I guess but in, in those each case will be dealt with individually but there is a code of conduct that everybody has to have a little nosy at and agree to in my experience I, I I've not had anything like that personally i, I people are just more cu- interested
0: Yeah, yeah
2: not even a curiosity it's just a, it's it's a genuine interest yeah. um and just to say something about uh, just to go back to something that we said before i think that um you know i've just got a very keen awareness of that people crossing the line being cu- between curiosity and fetishism and just kind of really holding that boundary for people because yeah cuz it's just the safety aspect of holding a group for me that
0: okay have you um uh, britain have you ever had experience um, any sort of racism in like from gay men or lgbt community in in liverpool or um i think i would say
1: uh across these 3 years i've been here in liverpool I've not been able to move out of my safe space for many reasons. The reasons first is like every time I travel, I only travel to the charities that support me and stuff like that, because uh, I, I, I couldn't afford uh, a bus ticket. So I needed the travel expenses. So it's like I was not a person to of going out and stuff like that, because I never had money for that, honestly. Uh, so in that sense, uh, I only move out on into my safe space network and that's the only people I met across the, the these three years. So uh, I hear from people from many hands, one heart that they found some struggles uh, because of their skin color or the way they express themselves. Uh, but in my particular case, as I say, I haven't had the, the opportunity to explore outside of my bubble, I would say, especially now with COVID, it's impossible. <laughs> um so, but for now, uh, the only thing I could say is positive stops.
0: Yeah. Once the real world comes back, I'll come back we'll to see. you. Yeah, we'll yeah. see. I, yeah, we yes. I know Yeah. Sorry, I know no. um, you're just gonna, just one thing is actually, I remember one member from Muslim community, was saying that, you know, when he goes to any gay bar, you know, he he goes to cop off. (coughs) Um, But, you know, he usually tell people that he's from Latin America or Spanish because he doesn't want people to start asking questions about Islam and, you know, about his religion and he just did cop off. He doesn't want to really talk about that. Anyway, um, uh, thanks very much for your um, participation. Uh, I really enjoy your um, explanation. I, I'm dealing with a lot of my issues regarding, um, you know, uh, LGBT community and trans and um, um, gender identities, and I, I'm feel a lot more confident. And I think if anyone has got sort of issues like that, it's got to sort of like listen to the people opposite or from that group, and to sort of expand their uh, the knowledge and experience. Uh, thanks very much for your um, for your time. Thank you. Bye. No,
2: it's really great to be on. Thank yeah. you. It right. is.